Chapter 18. Acknowledge Your Sources Commences with a quote by King Nebuchadnezzar. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? In my fourth and final year of college, the increasingly difficult subjects were challenging my limited intellect and my equally limited studiousness. The assignments were piling up and exams were looming. One assignment looked particularly difficult, and the topic was of little interest to me. The internet of the day was just a glorified yellow pages, and a slow one at that, so off to the library I went. My goal? To try to find some sources of inspiration, and a quick fix for writing a 3,000 word topical essay. I was surprised at the number of very good resources available, and over a couple of study periods I had put together what I thought was an excellent argument for the subject at hand. A week after I handed in my essay, the lecturer asked if I could call by his office to discuss something. I obliged, though with some hesitation, as there was something about my essay that I hoped he wouldn't discover. My fears were allayed when he started his conversation with, Mr. Archer, I thought your essay had some exceptionally good arguments that were right on topic and very well researched. Phew. He continued, The only thing I am concerned about is that some of the essay is actually word for word from some textbooks in the library. Ouch. How could he know that? How could he possibly have the time to read all of the texts and memorise them well enough to know that some of my paragraphs were actually not mine at all? He was gracious enough to let me have another try at the essay, as long as I clearly acknowledged what was mine and what wasn't. Lesson learned. I've found that it's the same with blessings. God wants us to have the blessings, so that we can share them with others. But he also wants us to acknowledge their source. We need to acknowledge that he is the source of the blessings, not us. I have a dear friend and past colleague who was very successful in his career, and yet was wise enough and humble enough to have this statement on his office wall. You say, I'm a self-made man. That's strange, because I distinctly remember creating you. Acknowledging that all we have, all we are, all we do, and all that we can be comes from God, is the Wybenho Dam that stops our overflow of blessings from becoming curses. It's actually far more effective than the Wybenho Dam. It's fail-proof. King Nebuchadnezzar had to learn this one the hard way. God warned him through the prophet Daniel that his pride and other actions were about to bring about his downfall. Unless he turned from his arrogance, he would be cursed. In Daniel 4, verses 29 and 30, we read, Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Immediately, while the words were still on his lips, a voice of judgment came from heaven, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven away from his kingdom. He was forced to be a vegetarian for seven years. The ultimate punishment. Just kidding. I've been a pretty strict vegetarian for more than 30 years. I've been incredibly spoiled, though, because my wife, Melinda, is a community health educator who specialises in teaching people to make some of the most scrumptious vegetarian meals in existence. We're actually told that Nebuchadnezzar ate grass like an ox with the wild animals, and his fingernails grew like bird claws. Nasty. Once the seven years had passed, 
he raised his eyes toward heaven, and his punishment came to an end. He concludes his message with an admittance of his lesson learned in Daniel 4 verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. No more did Nebuchadnezzar speak of the great Babylon I have built by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Nor can we say, I deserve this because I worked so hard to get it. No more, I can do what I want with this talent because I practiced so hard for it. No more, I've paid my 10% so the rest is mine. No more, I, I, I. God is the source, the only source. King David spoke this truth out loud as he saw the generosity of the people bringing their love offerings for the building of God's temple. In 1 Chronicles 29.14 we read, But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. God is the God from whom all blessings flow. In him we live and move and have our being. Wealthy Christians, like King Nebuchadnezzar and even King Solomon later in his life, are more strongly tempted to think that they created their own blessings and success than any other Christians. And the greater their success, the greater their temptation to take the credit for it. It reminds me of the frog who needed to get from his dried up pond to a running stream in the next valley. He asked two eagles whether they could somehow give him a lift. One of the eagles thought for a while, then suggested that the frog should bite onto the centre of a stick, while the two eagles carried one end each and flew toward the stream. All went to plan until they passed over a rock from where a hungry snake looked up and shouted, Hey, that's a cool idea! Who thought of it? The proud frog couldn't help himself and he answered, I did! We need to be aware of the dangers of self-exaltation in our own lives and also to remember others in similar situations. In a personal letter dated April 20, 1899, Ellen G. White wrote, In the history of men, we learn how dangerous is prosperity. It is not the men who have lost their money and their property who are in the greatest danger, but those who have obtained a fortune and are placed in a high position. Prayers are often requested for men and women in affliction, and this is as it should be. But the most earnest prayers should be solicited for those who are placed in a prosperous position. These men are in the greatest danger of losing the soul. On the lofty pinnacle where praise is heard, where our wisdom and greatness are extolled, we need a special power, a special arm to sustain us. And again she writes with remarkably keen insight for a person who would not normally be described as prosperous. In the midst of prosperity lurks danger. Throughout the ages, riches and honour have ever been attended with peril to humility and spirituality. It is not the empty cup that we have difficulty in carrying. It is the cup full to the brim that must be carefully balanced. Affliction and adversity may cause sorrow, but it is prosperity that is most dangerous to spiritual life. Unless the human subject 
is in constant submission to the will of God, unless he is sanctified by the truth, prosperity will surely arouse the natural inclination to presumption. The greatly blessed are in the most danger of being greatly cursed. As Moses reminded the Israelites when they were about to be blessed beyond their wildest dreams, in Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 we read, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. One of my favourite sayings when I used to sneakily try to let people know that I was a bit of a globetrotter and had a few coins to rub together, without actually saying so, was, All I need to go anywhere on earth is my passport and a credit card. Who needs God when you've got a passport and flush bank accounts? Isn't that the ultimate kit for wealthy fugitives trying to evade Interpol? The ability to cross borders and the cash to cover their tracks and keep moving on? What else could we need? In James chapter 4 verses 13 and 15 we're told, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Therein lies a lesson that I've had to learn and am still learning. No matter how self-sufficient I might sometimes think I am, without God's provision, I am nothing more than a vanishing mist. I recently came across a sermon by John Crosby, pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Edina, Minnesota. It was titled, The Christian Atheist. Is that even possible, to be a Christian and an atheist at the same time? Consider the full sermon title, The Christian Atheist, I Believe in God, But I Trust in Money. That's powerful. What an excellent and insightful title. How very accurately it describes the typical life of a modern-day affluent Christian. Proverbs 18.11 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Job knew the folly of putting his trust in gold and of thinking that his wealth and success had come from his own labours, so he never did. In Job 31, 24 and 25 and verse 28, he said, If I have put my trust in gold, or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained, then these also would be sins to be judged, for I would have been unfaithful to God on high. When was the last time you genuinely and publicly gave God the credit for the success of your business or career or talents? When people praise you or comment on your apparent skills or acumen, do you just thank them or do you take the opportunity to acknowledge your source? These are not trivial questions. If God has blessed you with a position of responsibility, uncommon talents or affluence, and you decide to take the glory for yourself, then Satan triumphs. He revels in his success, in the way that he has infected your heart with his disease. Because this self-glorification is precisely how he himself fell from glory.